everyone, and thanks for listening. You're listening to Bright Lights Consumer Trends in conversation with Element 54, the podcast show where we at Element 54, a full-service marketing research firm, will be interviewing thought leaders across various industries about different hot topics related to consumer trends. I'm your host, Julianne Ng, Senior Vice President at Element 54. In this first series of episodes, we are tackling a really fun topic that many are passionate about, and that would, of course, be food. These first episodes will be part of a series called Food Futures, and we'll be discussing the topic of food trends from the perspective of grocers, food manufacturers or processors, caterers and restaurants, and you may even hear from a professional chef or two. In today's conversation, I am privileged to have a virtual chat with Thierry Brancy, co-founder of Stop Gourmet, a Montreal-based food catering company. After a Master in Science in Applied Economics from the Graduate Business School of the University of Montreal, which is HSA or HEC Montreal, Thierry started his career in marketing research in different industries, including finance, pharmaceuticals, food and IT, for around 20 years. And as if he wasn't already busy enough with his day job, in parallel, he started a business with his wife in 2005 called Stop Gourmet. While it took some time to find the specific focus for Stop Gourmet, it had always evolved around food. It's an especially exciting time for Stop Gourmet now since it just launched its prepared meal division, while its legacy daycare catering services have evolved under the name of Gamin Gourmet. Good afternoon, Thierry, and thank you again for being a guest on our podcast today. Hi, Julian. It's a pleasure. So, to start, how did you become so passionate about food? It really came down to uh, my childhood, where my father, in order to make me a decent, what you would call a decent man in adulthood, uh, would be to install some uh, respect for good food. So, while uh, even before I was 10 years old, you know, I would know knew all the great uh, wine region. He would, I would know the appellation, the appellation uh, of those region. I would. Like it would make me uh, go into uh, the best uh, or the finest uh, Montreal, Quebec, and Ottawa restaurants just to make sure that I could discover uh, many different things. Like just there, I had a basis and I continued it while I grew up. The difference I might say that back then, uh, food was a lot about uh, foie gras, uh, big gravy or uh, uh, sauce and stuff like that. So after a couple of years, uh, my sister, who's a physician, she looked at me and said, well, Maybe you should uh, rethink the way you're you're eating. So that that kind of uh, gave me another uh, direction because at one point, if you're always looking for food in one direction, so that gave me another uh, purpose to rediscover uh, my relationship to food. So I dabbled with a couple of things like uh, veganism. I juiced uh, for like a period of uh, weeks. Uh, I, I did a couple of different things, and uh, while it was uh, very, very interesting to discover. Uh, it brought all the passion. I also, at the same time, lost 50 pounds in four years. So so uh, there was benefit for me and there was uh, also a lot of uh, enjoyment. So I think like the, the passion would come from, uh, you know, always rediscovering uh, food. Well, that sounds like you had a childhood that actually many would envy. And it sounds like you were also very experimental in terms of having um you know, grown up, surrounded by, like you said, a really different type of repertoire in terms of food and then rediscovering um, new avenues and being open-minded about what might come down your, your path. Then how did the idea of Stop Gourmet come into being? 
let's say that uh, I think that when we're looking at our past, uh, the influence of our uh, of my father was uh, more prevalent than uh, I would like to uh, to admit. But uh, he was an entrepreneur. His dad was an entrepreneur. So I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So I, for me, it was clear, clear, clear that it would be uh, uh, that I, at one point I'll, I'll be an entrepreneur. Uh, and it was clear also for my wife, uh, that's what she wanted to do. And we uh, uh, evolved in our uh, passion around food, always discovering new product. We say, well, it's such a, like, it just makes sense to start a fine food store. First, my company was started as a fine food store. And then it evolved. Like many entrepreneurs, you're going through a discovering phase of what is uh, the right opportunity. And uh, that's how we ended up uh, going uh, around the uh, the daycare in the end there's just one uh, daycare director that love our product so she switched her, her daycare to uh, to our fine food store and uh, we thought it was a uh, it was like it's a it's a good calling to say that uh, we're uh, nourishing and making uh, the children in montreal uh, discover food and different type of food so i think it's a it's a it made me. It made sense for us, and it's a good uh, uh, meaning of life. So, what do you see as the top trends in the food industry, and how has this changed, if at all, due to COVID nineteen? And this really mm-hmm. could include like all types of diets, the use of different ingredients in dishes, or even cooking methods. Mm-hmm. Well, the I, I think like the first thing is um, we can read a lot about the impact of COVID uh, these days, what it will have on restaurants and stuff like that. I'm uh, I'm more of a believer that it's a uh, I don't want to minimize it uh, at all, but it's it's going to be a blip of a couple of years, and the real trend is are going to come back. The real trend are I think more uh, around the, the the plant. Well, the environment has a huge it's a huge driver of where uh, things are going, uh, hence uh, all the the insect type of uh, food, uh, veganism or plant based uh, food. Uh, but there's also immigration. Lots of, uh, you know, I, I think in Toronto, there the impact of uh, immigration has been there for a long time. But in Montreal, uh, more and more, we're feeling it. And the impact is absolutely great. It's enriched a lot the culture, uh, the food culture around here. So in terms of spices, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, like uh, 40 years ago, if you would become a vegetarian, because I, I became vegetarian in the late uh, 80s, uh, there was not that much food. There was not that many recipes. You would, uh, you know, I had to take a, a, a white powder that was absolutely disgusting in order to get my protein. Uh, nowadays, like if you go in uh, the different part of the world, like vegetarianism is uh, very preeminent. And then you have a lot of uh, recipe that comes from uh, old culture. So, so I think like it brought a lot of things around that. Uh, I said that I was uh, I started to be vegetarian, but I that you know I came and went back, so I'm eating meat now, but a lot less. So so I think that's a, a big part. Uh, those are the big drivers, I think, of uh, really what's happening with food. Okay, so um, it's interesting that you should bring up the uh, veganism and the plant-based piece because I was actually going to ask you a question related to that. Um, meaning last year, Netflix released a documentary called The Game Changers. I don't know if you watched this at all or heard of it. Yes, for sure. Okay. And so Game Changers really focus on the benefits of a plant-based diet from an elite athlete perspective. 
right? Which is very different because many other documentaries or the veganism or even vegetarianism or plant-based angle was more about a general health focus or an animal rights, let's say, focus rather than really um, enhancing performance at the professional athlete level. So this documentary um, became really popular, partly because it sensationalized that aspect, which is always going to be more engaging uh, with the general public. But it was met with uh, mixed reviews and criticisms, but it definitely generated a lot of buzz overall. So what is, um, I guess, you've talked a little bit about your personal perspective and how you were, in fact, a um, an early adopter, let's say, or a leading edge in trying or experimenting with vegetarianism way back in the 80s. What is your, um, I guess, Stop Gourmet's perspective on plant-based protein products? And do you are you actively incorporating this into the menu? And do you see a significant increase in demand over the last few years? You know, when I mentioned that I became vegetarian in the 80s, uh, funnily enough, it was uh, for uh, port uh, reasons, port-related reason. I was doing uh, kung fu, and uh, you know, somebody told me, "Well, you're going to be, uh, you're going to flex more, you're going to be stronger, and all that." And I believe that that person, and that's why I, I started to to do it. At one point, I stopped kung fu, so I stopped the the vegetarian at the same time. But uh, afterwards, when I dabbled with it, uh, the the you know, I think again, there's more and more uh, option related to that. But why I stopped was mostly because of uh, of uh, interrelation uh, with people. So when I started to lose some friend because I was uh, not eating meat, I started to think, well, maybe you know I have to to be uh, less rigid about it. And, and I think that that sense uh, or that um, uh, that feeling is a bit uh, what we're feeling uh, at Sub Gourmet. So uh, when we uh, we uh, at one point we tried to go. Uh, very progressive. Uh, I, I mean, we have some uh, daycare that are 100% vegetarian, but we also have our meat lovers. And when we try to uh, to adapt our menu, uh, like mixing um, yes meat, but mixing it with uh, with uh, leguminous, uh, like at one point we started to lose uh, a lot of uh, of customer because of that. So we had to go back to be less what I call progressive. Uh, in order to respect everyone, and uh, we have to be uh, to to I think like the key is to be uh, tolerant about it. So uh, when uh, looking at the, the the experience of Sub Gourmet is that we we try to go in that way. We had to go back. Yes, there's more and more. Uh, it's very uh, ge uh, geolocalized. Mm -hmm. So when we go in some uh, place of Montreal, then you know. There's tons of vegan. There's tons of vegetarian, and uh, you know they they say, well, don't don't put red meat in it. But if we go like uh, let's say on the Sartre, then it's like, uh, well, how come there's a vegetarian meal on on the menu uh, in a week? So so it's still uh, there's still a lot of people that uh, uh, are not going in that way. There's still a lot of resistance, social resistance about it. And uh, yes, we're trying to go in that way. But I think we still need to to go at the pace of everyone. Yeah, that makes a, a lot of sense um, because customization, again, in terms of general trends, is is very important. 
And as you say, even though there may be increasing demand for plant-based products, not everybody is there or nor will they ever be there. And everyone has the, the right to, to choose what they, they prefer and should not be judged. So right. as a food catering service then, um, trying to accommodate for the different tastes and the profiles, like you said, very geo-localized by region, how, how do you address that? Because it's it seems like quite a challenge in order to um, have to adopt to too, too many different menus. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean that's uh, like you know the, some some of our of our competitors are uh, very good around uh, I don't know some of their uh, their way, but for us, like we're trying to be very flexible. We're doing it because we we believe that food is uh, very key to. Uh, uh, to dedication, so we're not doing it only for the money. We're doing it also for so uh, for 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 the kids and uh, what it means for for the people. So to to say that we're adapting, I mean, it's it got just uh, became natural. So when you talked about customization, yeah, for sure that for us is uh, one of the key point because we believe again everybody has their own uh, opinion and we don't want to be a, a polarizer around it. So, uh, yeah, customization is really uh, the way we're addressing that. So given that your legacy is in um, serving daycares, what is your perspective um, on plant-based protein when it comes to children? Because I know that has been fairly controversial, um, and I think the jury is still out in terms of having real solid, let's say, scientific evidence one way or the other to say, do we have a different standard of what we believe is appropriate for children knowing that they're still growing versus being an adult and trying to maintain um, good health or prevent uh, future illnesses or diseases? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, Lee, uh, it's a very good, very good question. I'm not sure that uh, all the science is uh, exactly, uh, you know, they know everything and things are changing. Um, so it's it's easier to to... To go on the safe side, uh, I, I think from from my perspective and from my company perspective is that if we're raising awareness, uh, you know, it, it's it should go through, even if the kid is uh, is uh, exposed to some meat and all that. It's as long as he's exposed to a lot of vegetarianism, like uh, we have a great down. Uh, you know, even uh, we have a daycare uh, where the director, uh, she's uh, she's Indian, and she was saying, well, your dal is better than the one I make at home. Mm-hmm. So if uh, somebody is coming from another culture and say, wow, we can eat some uh, vegetarian, uh, well, vegan or plant-based uh, diet and have great food, you know, when it, like the, that person is going to uh, grow uh, older and uh, get some other points like the environment, you know, you mentioned that the the game changer, but there's uh, many um, doc- documentary uh, uh, Netflix uh, with uh, Kip Anderson looking more at the lobbying and uh, the, the environment and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, it's not only it's not only by tasting and saying, well, vegetarianism is just better by the taste. It has to come from different uh, different dimension, and, and that's when yes, they might like it's great that they're exposed to everything. And they can make their own choice based on on uh, better knowledge, not only because we we say, well, here's what you uh, well, you should eat a plant-based diet and that's it, right? 
because then they, when they grow older, somebody's going to give them a steak and it's like, wow, I'm going to eat it because they're not, they were not exposed to that. So I, I think it has to, it's not a question of different standards. It's a question of when you're young, you should be exposed to, to more things in order to, uh, to, to, to be able to make your, your, your own personal choice in the future. Uh, in terms of health, uh, I think it's not, uh, you know, the, the, the nutritionists we're working with, you know, it's possible to, to have a great uh, plant-based diet uh, when they're young, but it's, a, it's a, a lot tougher and sometimes the kids don't have all the discipline for it, which is uh, like it could at one point create some health issue. At least that's, that's uh, the way we're dealing with it. So I, I'm not sure I, I would talk about different standards. I'm just think it's a different objective. So I agree. I think that's a very good point that it's less about like different standards and more about different objectives. I want to go back to a point that you mentioned earlier because I thought it was quite interesting and it's, it has actually come up through my own personal experimentation with different diets. And that is the, um, the social pressure point. So when you said that in the late eighties, you had experienced, um, or experimented with being a vegetarian um, during the time when you're doing Kung Fu, and then you stopped when you stopped the Kung Fu, but at the same time, you didn't continue with it, partly because you felt that there was an issue in terms of maintaining good relationships with your peer group or your friends at the time. Mm -hmm. do, you believe, do you still feel that to be the case now? Oh, for sure. That's, uh, I think, uh, yes. I, I like without any doubt uh, uh, there's so much social pressure uh, uh, to eat like when you go to a restaurant if uh, you know I won't go to the same restaurant if I'm if I want to to have a, a, like a vegetarian meal it's just like the taste of somebody uh, just adapting the menu for a vegetarian is not the same it's not as good as when it's made really for a vegetarian so uh, if I want to go out with friends an eater, I'm eating something like you're looking at the menu and it's like, how come they can do something like that? Or like, so I would eat meat. Uh, and uh, if I'm uh, if I'm inviting friends at home, I mean, some of them are meat lovers and I have to respect that. And if I wouldn't, they would just stop uh, coming. And uh, and it's, uh, you know, I, I, I feel I felt that like a year ago, uh, you know, I, I really went uh, deep into a plant based uh, a diet where I had uh, nothing, uh, uh, no animal at all uh, that would come into my, my mouth. And, and uh, uh, like, I felt the pressure from, from uh, socially, like, yes, from, uh, from, from my friends, but also from my family, from, uh, uh, you know, I have to sell, I'm a seller, so, so I have to, to sell my business to, to new potential customers. And some of them would just look at me if I was a, uh, you know, so if I was mentioning like uh, things around the health uh, related to a plan, like better health for when you're eating plant-based uh, diet, like they would look at me like if I'm an alien or something like that. So it's interesting that all these years later, that social pressure is still there. And that's probably going to remain as one of the biggest barriers, I think, for many who want to uh, stay with a long um, a plant-based diet more long term. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's some... Uh, like the, the worst thing that could happen is that polarization of, of the topic, right? So if you polarize that topic too much, what will happen is that the plant-based will become, you know, 
uh, yes, socially acceptable, but within some circle. And then uh, you would have uh, uh, meat lovers that will just hate the other one. And, and it's going to be like a Republican and Democrat in the U.S., right? So mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, uh, again, uh, tolerance, uh, communication is very important in order to to make, to continue on that that. That's a very good point. And I think if everyone saw the world that way, um, we wouldn't have these issues of polarization. So just a couple more questions. Um, One is during COVID. So we know that more people are cooking at home and sometimes they don't they didn't really want to cook at home. And certainly during the early months of uh, social distancing and the lockdown. So in March, April, May, many found themselves having to cook a lot more than they ever wanted to cook. And experimenting even with different types of cuisines, because they were cooking more, they would run out of ideas and feel the need to experiment a bit more. So now as the schools and daycares start to reopen uh, more completely than they have been in the last several months, what impact, if any, do you anticipate in terms of demand for different types of food offerings, knowing that people may have been cooking more at home and trying out different types of food? To be honest, I think like uh, that's not going to last. Like uh, uh, you know, I, I sat in the Nielsen meeting where uh, the presenter was talking about like the the lever, the, the to to do the bread, how much it went crazy, it was uh, back order and all that. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, like in a year when things are going to to go back to a bit more normal uh, situation that people will go back to their uh, I think that people will go back to their old habit. So maybe there's going to be uh, some increase, a bit of increased awareness about it, but it's just like uh, time is still time. It's still very valuable. Uh, people have tons of things to do. And and based on that, they're, they're more open, but I'm not sure it's going to, uh, to uh, have a, a tremendous impact in the long term. It's For me, it's a short-term thing. Right. So then it sounds like um, based on how you perceive things, that this would not be something that you would have to specifically adjust to as people will settle back more into maybe their original preferences and routines rather than having truly changed as a result of um, their experimentation during COVID. Right. All right. Um, And if you could spread one message broadly to our listeners with respect to food and nutrition, what would it be? Well, I think that uh, food and nutrition is one of, uh, a, a, it's a great journey in life to, to discover and all that, the impact it has on, uh, on uh, your health, your mood, your attitude, your, your connection, even the social connection is so uh, tremendous that uh, it, it's, it, I think it's, it's key to be open to, to food. And uh, uh, like food is also uh, like a, a trip in different cultures, countries, waves of thinking. Uh, so it has a huge impact on your ecosystem, uh, as demonstrated, like I was talking about uh, Kip Anderson, uh, the documentary. But also when you're looking at uh, what a couple of uh, books that you could read uh, now, like uh, from uh, Dr. Fromm or Dr. Fromm or from uh, Anthony Williams, uh, you know, it's it's really like, well, your your body is, uh, is, is your temple and you should t- take care of it. So thank you so much, Thierry, again, for being our guest today. It was a pleasure. Based on Thierry's perspectives today, I hear a few key takeaways. Point number one, 
Even though a company may have what could be considered a progressive philosophy or mission to bring customers on board, it's always going to be important to start from a place of tolerance to avoid the negative effects of polarization while continuing to build awareness towards the cause. I recently read a book called The Catalyst from Jonah Berger, who is a marketing professor and a world-renowned expert on behavior change and social influence. And he also happens to be an international best-selling author. He talks about the concept of distance as a barrier to change. We have to take a little bit of change or a lot of change and break it down into smaller, more manageable stepping stones. Ask for less before asking for more. This is essentially the principle that Thierry has described as to how the food offering and approach at Stop Gourmet has evolved towards customization while still building awareness about the health and environmental benefits of plant-based nutrition. Point number two, do not underestimate the role of social pressure or influence among consumers of all ages and walks of life. I know that marketers know this already, but I think it's a good reminder based on what Thierry had described of his interactions with his social circle and their influence on his diet choices. For food companies and restaurants, finding a way to leverage this in a positive way can really help grow the business. And point number three, Thierry believes that some of the cooking-related habits observed during COVID-19, such as the spike we saw in baking, with yeast being almost in as high a demand as toilet paper, that these habits will likely not persist a year later. I remember going to the grocery store in the early COVID-19 days and being truly confused by the empty baking shelves in the baking aisle. I saw one lonely package of yeast left and I almost felt the need to buy it even though I didn't need it. But I didn't end up buying it only because I started to get suspicious as, as to why it was left there and maybe something was wrong with it. So Thierry believes that a return to pre-COVID habits um, will happen because the demand for consumers' time will always be there. We all lead busy lives, so there will always be a need for products and services that offer convenience. If you are interested in hearing more about food trends from different experts and other upcoming consumer trends topics, please make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to Bright Lights Consumer Trends in conversation with Element 54. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode or know someone else who would, we would love to hear from you. Just reach out to me through LinkedIn or at julianne.ng at element-54.com.